All right, this is going to be a little weird tonight, obviously, but um, we're going we're gonna to attempt to kind of go into an introduction uh, through serve. Many of you, if you've come, have known we've been going through our worship growth serve. Hey, Miss Mary Beth, how are you? Uh, we've been going through our worship growth serve uh, purpose statement, understanding uh, this is who we are as a church, right? This is what we've been called to as a church. I've got those up front if you want to uh, spread those out. Justin's hands are clean. Um, and so uh, we, we kind of really, uh, what we've been doing is kind of just looking at the biblical basis for worship. Why did we decide to, to pick worship, grow, serve as the three um, sort of facilities by which we're going to accomplish our purpose? Well, we wanted to look and see at, uh, why we exist to worship and why we exist to grow. And tonight we're going to be covering serve. So we're really looking at part three of unpacking our purpose. Again, we're situating this in God's word. Uh, and seeing how our purpose statement is really what it is, is it's God's purpose for His people. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 4 tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, it's in the New Testament. After Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Let's get there. God eats popcorn cold. I don't know why that always stuck with me, but it did. Um, that's not true. I don't think he eats popcorn. But uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. You got it? All right. I'm going to read it. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Okay, so let's recap a little bit. We've seen that we exist to... You remember? Why do we exist? To serve. Let's back up. Before that, we, we exist to worship. You were created to worship. You know that, right? That, that is your purpose in life is to worship. And that the Father is seeking such as these, John 4, true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. truth. In fact, Jesus came drawing all men to himself that he, as the true and better worshiper, might also build up a holy temple for God, full of like worshipers. So we've made a point in every lesson reminding ourselves that our chief end indeed is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 
we're reminded, the first lesson, that there are wrong ways to worship. Even though we're all created to worship, there is a wrong way to worship. There is a right way to worship even, but the right way actually became the wrong way, and now there's a new and perfect way through Christ. And that right way requires two things that both start with R. Does anybody happen to remember what they are? That was that didn't mean for that to be a pun, but it was a pun, wasn't it? Um, two things. Revelation. Revelation and another big R word. Shelly, come on. I mean, redemption. Redemption. Thank you, Phil. Looking at notes and all. Cheat sheets are encouraged. Okay. Revelation and redemption. Remember that was foreshadowed at, at Mount Sinai, but actually brought to fulfillment in and through Jesus Christ. Now the only way to worship God as we were created to do, the very purpose of our existence is to love and obey God's Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior and King. Our worship is in, through, and by Him. So last week we considered what it looks like to grow in that worship. So if we exist to worship, then growing actually is worship. We will learn that there are two words in the world. Do you remember this from last week? There are two words. They have been since the fall. Does anybody know what those two words are? There's the true word, and this one's easy, and the untrue. Yeah, that's good. All right. That's just logical reasoning there. Um, the, there has been. The true word that provokes worship is one responds in obedience and faith. And the false word, which attempts to diminish worship or really set up a false alternative system of worship. Uh, we've been warned about this other voice that tempts us to participate in false worship. And really, we said that's one of the themes of the Bible is that there are two words constantly at war with one another from the beginning. Uh, two words. One leads to growth in worship, transforming you through the renewal of your mind so that you can discern and understand the will of God, learning to discern between good and evil. And another word, which is a lie, aiming to blur the line between good and evil, tempting you to do the word of the devil. So true worship requires true and better revelation, the redemption of God, and it requires Jesus' word. That's where we're at right now. We have to keep in mind that as we move forward today, what it looks like to encourage one another in serving the Lord. Uh, it's been coupled with what was said about true worship being grounded in and through Christ and His Word. Does everybody have a copy of the pamphlet? Anybody not have a copy of the pamphlet? It's okay if you don't want to do it, but I'm just going to read the serve portion again, okay? I know we've read it each and every week, but I'm going to read the serve portion this week. Serve up, in, and out. Hey, if you don't know, staff meeting. Right. That's right. Um, so uh, this little flap right here on the inside, this is what Worship, Grow, Serve is, and we're going to read the serve per, uh, portion right now. Or I am. Feel free to join if you want, if you haven't. Serve up. We do all things for the glory of God according to His gospel serve in. We serve our church family primarily toward their worship and growth. Serve out. We serve God among all peoples for His glory. So in one sense, it's kind of funny we've got a smaller number here today uh, because what I really want to do is just kind of have a household meeting a little bit. Uh, this is primarily for the members of First Baptist Church of Great Gables, those who have covenanted together to serve and love and worship God in and through Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to say some things that are obviously applicable beyond that, but I'm also going to address us in that context specifically in just a, a brief 
moment tonight. So I want to remind you at the outset, uh, your membership was voluntary, right? You know that. No one forced you at gunpoint to, to glue yourself to our church, and we won't for any of our visitors that are here. That's not how we do that. No one does that. You did so willingly. We confirmed your confession of faith. We said, yes, we see one here who is a brother and sister in Christ. We gladly receive them with all the privileges and responsibilities of a Christian. That is what the church does, and that's what we did. So it's going to take me just a little bit. In fact, we're going to look at this this weekend, next week, to get down to the nitty-gritty. So you're going to have to be patient here. But I'm going to use Ephesians 4 to really unpack what I think is the heart of service. This is the heart of service. We'll be focusing in on 11 through 16. And I want us to see three things here. Really, we're going to look at the first one tonight and the other two next week. But these three things. Christ gives gifts. Christ gives gifts. One of those gifts are teachers and preachers who equip Christians, the saints, and Christians build up the church. I'm going to say that one more time. I know I don't have handouts. We'll have them next week. Christ gives gifts. One of those gifts are teachers and preachers who equip Christians, the saints, and Christians build up the church. Now, it's one thing to say that. It's another to see it in the Scriptures. So let's start at the beginning. Somebody, if you got Ephesians 4 open, would you mind reading verse 7 for me? You can throw up a hand if you don't want to be that awkward moment where you start to read and you're worried somebody else is going to read and you're talking over each other. Go ahead, Debbie. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Um, and that's okay. That's it. First Corinthians 12, 7 on that. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're going to talk about that, too. <laughs> that's right. Well, interesting. Yeah, 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and Romans 12 really kind of unpack a little bit further what those spiritual gifts are. And so we understand this. From verse 7, it tells us Christ gives gifts to men. But specifically, the people who belong to God in Him. In fact, the, the, the Greek there says He actually showers them with gifts. And one of the gifts He gives that I want to examine is the Word. I know we considered this in great detail last week, but it's true. One of the greatest gifts that God has given you is His Word. In fact, move over to, to Ephesians chapter 2. It's on the same page in my Bible, so I'll read it. Uh, in verse 17. Ephesians 2, 17. You got eyes on it? Yeah. All right. The Bible says, And He, being Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were of near. Okay. You, you see what the Apostle Paul just said in the book of Ephesians? He said that Jesus came and preached peace to you, to the Ephesian church, those who were far off. Can I ask you a question? When did Jesus preach to the Christians in Ephesians? In, in Ephesus, sorry. Do you know? On Jesus' earthly ministry, do we have any evidence that he ever stepped foot in Ephesus? No, and the answer is no. It's a 50-50 shot. You can take a guess. It's okay. Uh, when did the apostles, prophets, and evangelists preach Christ to the Christians in, in Ephesus? Does anybody know that? Who particularly? We know that there was an apostle that preached to Ephesus, right? Because he wrote this book. What was his name? Paul, Paul right? Uh, who do we know later from church history, and even in the Bible, actually became pastor of the church of Ephesus? Anybody know? He was Paul's main disciple, his homeboy, his son in the faith. 
Timothy, that's right, yeah. Timothy actually became the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And so I want you to see this. Jesus, we don't have any history or record of him preaching in Ephesus. We do have history and record of the apostle Paul preaching in Ephesus. And yet, what do we see here? We see that Paul says that he came and preached to you who were far off. See, where the word of Christ is proclaimed, it's Christ's word. As though he himself were preaching peace to the hearers. Jesus came and preached peace to you in Ephesus who were far off and peace to those who were near. Jesus preached to you. That, that's what Paul meant, by the way. Uh, you remember that verse in Corinthians that tells us uh, that he, or actually it says he and his partners in ministry were ambassadors for Christ. We always love that verse, right? Ambassadors for Christ. Did you know Paul in context is not actually saying that every Christian is an ambassador of Christ? though we often read it that way, and though it's applicable that way. That's not what he means in the text. In, in Corinthians, he was actually talking about himself and the other gospel ministers. In the context, Paul's actually referring to himself and his companions. Paul wasn't saying we, meaning every Christian. In fact, let's look at it. In that specific context, Paul wrote, in 2 Corinthians, he wrote, Now all things are of God. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, go ahead and turn there. Second Corinthians 5, start in verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So get this, Paul spoke on behalf of Christ as an ambassador of God, preaching peace and imploring people to be reconciled to God. And so wherever Paul proclaimed that message of reconciliation, the word of Christ was preached. Christ was preaching peace between God and man through faith in him. In fact, Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 14, he said this, These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, and who's the helper? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now, who's Jesus talking to there? Is he talking to all of us or is he talking particularly to his disciples and who we would call apostles? That's hard, right? Because is the Holy Spirit our helper? But let me ask you a question. The Holy Spirit brings to your remembrance things so that you can write down the word of God? Amen. So whatever you write, the Holy Spirit is writing the words of very words of Christ? Or was he speaking specifically to the apostles in this context? He, he is. He's, he's telling the disciples and the apostles that the Holy Spirit is going to bring... You know why we have the Bible? You know why we know it's the Word of God? Because John 14 is true. That during the time in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit 
brought about the word of God, taught the apostles and prophets and reminded them of the gospels. It's why we have the gospels in written form. The Holy Spirit would bring Jesus' words to their remembrance. He would teach the apostles what to proclaim, how to proclaim, calling to remembrance what Jesus had taught them. They would proclaim Christ's word, and that's exactly what happened in the book of Acts. What happens? The Holy Spirit falls. Christ is proclaimed. First in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So Paul wrote to the Ephesians that Jesus preached peace to you, even though, again, I don't think there's any reason whatsoever for us to believe that Jesus ever stepped foot in Ephesus, nor preached to Gentile believers of Ephesus during his earthly ministry. So that's interesting. But when Paul proclaimed the gospel of Jesus, Jesus himself preached peace to them. Here's the point. Is Christ still proclaiming peace? Amen. Is Christ still preaching? Amen. Where? Wherever His Word is proclaimed, Christ is speaking by His Word. In fact, in that text in 2 Corinthians 5, it would go on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, you remember this verse? I, if you haven't memorized this verse, it's a great gospel verse. God made Him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God. So I implore you, be reconciled to God by trusting Jesus Christ. And wherever this message is proclaimed, Christ proclaims peace. Now, don't miss this. That the message that's proclaiming peace is not simply the good news that Jesus lived and died for us. It's not, it's not simply that. I mean, it, it certainly is that, but it's actually more than that. It, it's not simply that Jesus was raised for our justification. It is certainly that, but it's actually more than that. It's not even simply that he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he now intercedes on his behalf. It is that, but it's more than that. The message of peace includes the good news that we can and now should live for God. That we can become true worshipers. The words of Christ are actually all that Jesus taught, including the imperatives, His commandments, instructing us how we are to live together. In fact, go ahead and turn to the Great Commission. Does anybody know where the Great Commission is found in Scripture? Matthew chapter 28. So keep going left to get to the end of the book of Matthew 28, and we'll just start at 19, even though 18 is important. We'll start at 19 and read 19 and 20. By the way, if you don't have this circled or, or underlined in your Bible, this is your mission. This is, this is what you are placed to do. Here it goes. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Spirit. Now often we just stop right there, right? That's it. That's our mission. But what does verse 20 say? Teaching them to observe what? All things that I have commanded you. Do not leave that part out. And don't leave this part either. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The words of Christ teach us to observe all that He has commanded the apostles and prophets. These words of Christ are the very mortar that unites the bricks of God's holy temple together and keeps them united. It is, it's food for the body. Uh, just as physical bodies need constant sustaining with food, so the metaphorical body of Christ needs sustenance. It's a steady diet of the Word of God. So Christ provides it. 
It's one of the gifts God provides. He gave apostles and prophets to lay the foundation of the building. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22 would tell us, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built, get this, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into the holy temple of the Lord in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of the Spirit of God. As Paul puts it in, in chapter 3 verses 7 and 8 of Ephesians of which I became a minister according to the gifts of grace a, a gr gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power to me who am less than the least of all the saints this grace was given that I should what? Preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So praise God for this gift. He provides for us the gift of the Word. But here's another gift He provides for us. It's the gift of His Spirit, right? Christ gives the Word, but He gives us His Spirit also. That's what it says in verse 22. Um, in fact, John 16, 7 would tell us, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit works with the Word. He's poured out His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present in this place, working through His people in the proclamation of the Word. Listen, guys, this is why, straight up, I love you. As long as Pastor Justin and I are showing any symptoms, if we got two or more, we're going to preach the Word. It's simple. It really is. Why? Because we believe that the Spirit of God works through His Word being proclaimed. Amen. That, that's it. That's a, listen, that doesn't, doesn't mean we're better than anybody else. It doesn't mean we're being self-righteous and shaming anybody else. It's simply our call. And so we're going to do it as long as we possibly can. The Holy Spirit works in this way. In fact, that's what we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Where he says this, And he gave, himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The, that's how the work works. It works with the Spirit, impressing it upon our hearts and renewing our minds. Christ gives us one more gift, and then I'll give you some applications, and we'll be done. Uh, he gives us way more than one more gift, by the way, but this is the only one I'm mentioning tonight. You want to guess what this one is? He gives us His Word. He gives us His Spirit. You know what else He gives us? I'm going to take a long sip of water here. Just let you guess. I mean, there's no wrong answer, guys. He does give us everything. That's a you know a little bit of a cop out, but I'll okay. Knowledge. He gives us knowledge. He gives us the church. Church. He gives us one another. That's what I was looking for. But that's those are good. I mean, he does give us knowledge, and he does give us everything. But he gives us each other, one another. In fact, Miss Debbie mentioned First Corinthians chapter twelve. It's a chapter most of us are familiar with. It's the Spirit who gives gifts according to His will. But here it is actually Christ who is pouring out the gifts, the grace according to the measure of His gifts. So there's no contradiction there, obviously. As Christ pours out His gifts, the Holy Spirit is working among those gifts to apply them to our lives. 
the gift that he is giving to people in order to build up his church. Now, really, listen, it's helpful and necessary for us to remember that this is a Trinitarian work. What do I mean by that? That involves the persons of the Godhead, right? Uh, so while at times we may focus on the work of the Son, or the work of the Spirit, or the work of the Father, it's all three that are engaged in our redemption all along the way. And so it is with the gifts. The Father is pleased to give gifts to His children, so King Jesus endows us with gifts, pours them out from His storehouse, and the Holy Spirit applies them to our lives. This is a picture of a victorious king who's defeated the enemy, right? He's returned to his holy city. He's now distributing gifts abroad as he leads in his procession of captives in that holy city. The ascended Christ now bestows upon his subjects various gifts. Grace is given by the Father through Christ and applied by the Holy Spirit. In this way, the gifts are given to the body of Christ. Why, again, verse 11, he gave himself prophets, apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers... Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Now, I, I know I'm probably beating a dead horse here, but you have to notice the emphasis on the word there, right? It, it does make sense that there's an emphasis on the word. After all, any structure is built upon the foundation. And what's the foundation? Who's the cornerstone? Jesus. Right. And what's the foundation? The word. Yeah, the, the word of the apostles and prophets. Their proclamation of Christ, their witness and testimony of life. The Word is central because Christ is central. Now, I want to point out, this is applicable really on two different levels. Uh, in reference to the church universal, it's true. That's what Paul is referring to in chapter 2. It certainly is true. The foundation has been laid once for all. All we're doing is simply building upon it. We don't start with a new foundation. It's why if I come to you and say, I've got a new revelation from God, you say, no, you don't. You've got the Word. Tell us what the Word says. We've already got the revelation from God. We have a foundation. It's the apostles and the prophets, their proclamation, their testimony. No new foundation and no apostles and prophets. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But there's another application. The local church. The foundation is laid anew in one sense every time a church is constituted. How? All that the apostles and prophets taught, that is all that Jesus taught, has to be taught, proclaimed, laid out. One foundation was laid long ago, that one foundation, which is Christ, but there is the work of ongoing teaching and preaching. So to return to our passage uh, in verse 7, Jesus is not giving the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, but he has given them every single member endowed with certain graces, certain gifts. Again, read verse 7 of Ephesians 4. But to each one of us, to who? Each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. There, uh, that's verse 8. Jesus, again, one body, different gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12 as well, where Paul writes a similar thing. Those are two places where he goes into far greater detail about the types of gifts, how they're supposed to be used and exercised for the body. But I want to say in Ephesians 4, and I want to look at this and see how this concept plays out here in this passage, which is really what we'll do next week. But before we go on, I want to pause and just apply what we've heard so far. Just simply. What have we heard? Jesus gives gifts to His people. He gives the Word. Holy Spirit, and He gives us one another. 
He gives all people who belong to Him gifts for one another. Here's the application. You and I are dependent on Jesus Christ. We know that, right? Amen. Really, this is the word for the day. This church is dependent upon Jesus Christ. Individually, yes, but also corporately as a body. We gather together, and, and listen, we can do all sorts of things. But unless Christ pours out His gifts by the working of the Spirit, we will accomplish nothing of eternal or spiritual value. That has to be our understanding. We're completely dependent on our Savior, not just for our salvation, but every bit of our growth, every victory over our sin, every step down the narrow path, it is all by His grace. The Holy Spirit applying His redemptive work to our lives. And so let's, let's take that to one more application and then we'll be done. That's this. What do you got to brag about? What you, well, honestly, what do you have to boast in? What do you have, Paul writes, that you have not been given? It's a rhetorical question. You want to know what the answer is? Nothing. <laughs> uh, brothers and sisters, especially as we consider what it means to serve one another, as we prepare to look at that, encourage one another in serving the Lord, it starts with this, the mortification of pride. Service starts with the mortification of pride. There's nothing that will divide a community faster than pride. And what do we have to be proud of? The cross. That's it. That's what Paul says. So I will boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. This is by His work, by His grace, that I am who I am. Hear me. Jesus is no less active in building His church today than He was in the first century. Do you know that? Amen. He, he's not less active just because we don't have the miracle. He's not less active just because we don't have the Apostle Paul walking through the door. He's no less active because we don't have tongues of fire over our head. His spirit is no less active applying his redemptive work in the body of Christ. It is still Christ at work among us by his spirit, fulfilling his promise that where two or more gather, there he is also. So I'll lead you with that. We understand this is... This was really a mindset of service before it was actually encouraging us to serve. But I want you to look and examine yourself as we talk about worship, grow, serve. And we look at the areas of your service. How's the mortification of pride going? Because I tell you, boy, it's a struggle. You start doing stuff for the Lord, you start serving Him, you start thinking you've got a whole lot of things to boast about. And you need to be constantly reminded. And listen, I know you know that I'm just talking to myself right here, right? You, Cody, need to constantly be reminded you've got one thing to boast in. Jesus Christ. Amen. That's it. That's all we got. But friends, here's the view. That's all we need. Right? All right. That's all I got. Any encouragements or questions or things of clarity or insults or jokes? No, never mind. No jokes, Bob. Sorry. I'm so sorry to, to even consider that. Anything? All right.